There's a song in the hymn book here. Some of us probably know this. Some may not. We're not going to sing it because I wouldn't need the music to get to the right uh, place with this. But I just want to read some of the stanzas. More about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. More about Jesus let me learn, more of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. That's quite a revelation to have. And more than that, it's quite something to have that working and moving in our lives. More about Jesus, let me learn more of his uh, holy will. But this one here. Uh, Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. Well, for the Lord to show us the things of Christ is good, but sometimes it's quite a job. And you look in the world, you see people in the world, and they're totally oblivious to the Lord, to the Bible, to Revelation, to all kinds of things. And even those that have been brought up in certain denominations, uh, I know for myself I had an understanding of some of the basic doctrines in the Bible because of the doctrines the church taught. But as far as relationship as far as having any revelation from God that was totally lacking. I had no relationship with him at all. So we come in, we're birthed into the kingdom, and something begins. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians. I just want to show you a verse in chapter 1. And depending upon your translation, you know, different translations read differently. And whenever you look at certain words in the Greek, you can understand how the translators had to, you know, look at this and, and wrangle with the right way to present this. And many times they put it in there, they, they translate it. And it may not exactly say what it says in the Greek, but if we have the Spirit of God and He is taking the things of God and showing us, then we will see past and understand certain things, even though we may not understand certain tenses or verbs. Uh, although when it's translated correctly, it's a tremendous help. Because some people, some Christians, totally miss certain things because of the translation. But in chapter 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So we understand that those out there in the world that are perishing, that the message of the cross to them is foolishness. But he goes on, he says, Now the King James reads to us or to those who are, who are saved, it is the power of God. So that translation is correct, meaning that the gospel, the preaching, the cross, to you, to me, to those who are saved, is the power of God. 
That's, that's true as true can be. But examining the Greek text for this, and you can actually see certain translations that will actually give you the proper translation with that Greek tense, the, the proper tense. In the New King James it says, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, so you have both aspects here. We are saved. So, you know, they probably translated it that way in the King James because people would doubt their salvation, which people do sometimes, we know. But the actual rendering from the Greek, what Paul actually wrote, is to those who are being saved. So he's talking, I believe, about the sanctification process that we as believers are to be in to where the Spirit of God comes and He deals with us and He brings truth, He does different things in our, our walk and in our life so that we progress, so that we move on so that we move further in the kingdom, so that our relationship becomes closer, so that uh, we become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So, as I said, both translations there are correct, showing a different aspect of the same truth. We are saved, but we are being saved, as Paul actually writes that. We are being saved. Whenever you continue on in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, we're going to look at some verses here. But the actual thing that Paul's really trying to uh, show us here is the contrast between those who are perishing. They're perishing uh, in their way. They're perishing in the direction that they're going. And those who are being saved, there is a contrast between the two. And you see this throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2 especially, and we're going to look at that in, in a little bit, where he talks about the natural man and the spiritual man. Now, the word salvation, if you would just look at the word salvation, you would study the word salvation. The basic meaning of the word salvation is deliverance. And so when Paul says that we are being saved you could say that we are being delivered. So if you look at the Old Testament and you look at Israel, you can see in many instances that they were being delivered from every side. The Lord would, would do certain things to, to deliver them in the natural, of course, and even in the spiritual with, with many. So that was part of the salvation of God. So we are being saved or we are being delivered from this world, from this world system, we're being delivered from our carnal inclinations, we are being delivered from many different things, from, from moving our own way, moving in our own will, we are being saved, we are being delivered, we are uh, being brought out from that, and that's the salvation of God. Now, in chapter 2, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
Verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are perfect, the King James says, or that we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Why does Paul say that? Uh, because those who are mature will be more apt to understand they will be more apt to receive the wisdom of God because there is, if you will, a frame of reference now, or you could say because the Spirit of God has built a foundation within the life of those who are on this process. They're in this process of sanctification. They're moving on. They're, they're moving toward maturity or they're, they're reaching maturity. And because of that now, they are able to receive the Spirit of God. So Paul says, we speak the wisdom of God, okay, to those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, uh, which are coming to nothing. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, in a mystery, so this word here is mysterion. It means we're speaking something that was a secret. We're speaking something that was hidden, but now it's brought out into the open. Uh, the Spirit of God has brought it out for those who can receive, those who have the heart which can be open to receive that which is opened, and brought to them. Now, in Hebrews, just one or two verses in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. I'll read this from the New King James. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. I have that here. Chapter 11, and we know this is the faith. They call it the faith chapter. Verse 39. And all these, speaking of the, these different examples, different people, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided some better thing, uh, something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The Amplified says, And all these things, uh, though they won divine approval by means of their faith, did not receive the fulfillment of what was promised, because God had us in mind and had something better and greater in view for us so that they, the heroes and the hero, heroinesses of faith, should not come to perfection apart from us before we could be joined with them, which is quite something. I often wondered about that. And I believe what, what's going on here is that these individuals that we read about in chapter 11 and if you go back and you look at their lives and you see how the Lord dealt with them and, and what the Lord brought to them, he brought to them revelation, revelation about themselves, revelation about their personal lives and their personal circumstances, revelation pertaining to the nation Israel, uh, revelation even, for example, like Daniel, pertaining to the future. But now after, that was... That was revelation, under the, they were under the law, looking toward the Messiah. 
now, after Christ came, you have a more complete revelation that Jesus brought forth, and then he, he brings that out forth, uh, forth, brings it forth from the apostles and from Paul, who was an apostle. And, and now you have a revelation there that in the Old Testament they did not have and see. And so the Lord says, now, He's going to bring this whole thing, this body of revelation, to completeness. And so there it was there in the beginning, uh, looking toward the Messiah. Now after the Messiah came and Jesus died and so forth, now you have this. And now he says that this is not that they couldn't be complete in, in their spirit, but that revelation that was moving there through the, the Old Testament now is coupled together with that which is in the New Testament and been brought to you and I. And he says, oh, now this whole body of Revelation is going to be complete. So this, this was an arrangement that God had. He brought it forth in the Old Testament, and he brings, brings it forth in the New Testament. And Paul talks about this in some of his epistles where he talks about the Gentiles. And there wasn't much revelation in the Old Testament concerning the Gentiles. I believe, was it Daniel? There were a few prophets that, that prophesied related to this, but as a whole, it was hidden. And Paul the Apostle receives this revelation from the Lord, and he, he goes to the synagogues, he preaches to the Jews, and when they reject him, he said, the Lord has brought this to you first, but now I turn, it's the direction of the Spirit, to the Gentiles. And that was never heard of. That was a revelation that was brought out that we accept now as, you know, of course it's common, we're, we're Christians. But back then, there was never any such thing like that. And so that thing that went out. And anyway... The arrangement of revelation basically was not complete. Okay, that's from the from all this you see, this faith that you see uh, in chapter eleven. Now I'll go back to, uh, or you're probably still there. First Corinthians two, verse seven. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, so that whenever Let's use this example. Whenever you come in contact with someone who's not a Christian and the Lord gives you something for them and you start to tell them about salvation, you start to tell them about Christ, you start to tell them about how the Lord has changed you, your testimony. Now you begin to reveal a mystery. When I first heard the gospel, even growing up in the church I grew up in, the first time I heard that you must be born from above, you must receive Christ as your Savior, to me it was a big mystery. I, I couldn't understand it. Okay, so now the Lord, he, he takes something that's hidden, and he takes the lid off it, so to speak, and he's showing you now this is what's in the pot. You know, this is uncovered, this is unveiled. This is the, it was a mystery, now here it is. Now, just having a revelation of 
you must be born again. I'm talking about someone who's unsaved. The revelation comes to them. Now, what is done with that is extremely important. Because, as you well know, there are those who you witness to and talk to, and the revelation, it's, it's, it's hidden, it's brought out now, and they see that even though they don't, they don't understand it. But now it's there before them, and now they have a choice. What am I going to do with that which is set before me? And I remember the first time I heard this, I was kind of, you know, wow. How come I never heard this before? You know, all these years I spent in a denominational church, and not one time did I hear this. And so I knew something that was before me was truth, because the individual had the Bible right there, open to the scriptures, showing me the scriptures, and I was able to read them for myself, and I believed them. But now, that revelation is either going to cause a person now to move toward God to where now they are being in the process of being saved, sanctification, or they're going to leave that there in front of them and never progress along the way at all. They're, they're just going to stay where they are in their life, and, and that's the end of it. So this word mystery, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And then later on, he talks about that God has revealed them to us. Well, what's that? Well, that is because we took that revelation and we brought it into our hearts. We, we decided that that which was brought and set before us was true, and we brought that in. Now, that becomes the basis for God hath revealed them to us by his spirit. So just having the mystery, the mysterion, brought out is only part of it. See, there must be a response. Now, I was relating that to salvation. This also relates to you and I as Christians. There will be an apocalypsis, the Greek word, where the Lord will speak through his word, through a minister of the gospel, through someone witnessing, however that may be, and he will speak, and this apocalypsis comes out, and now that is there for you and I. It's going to be yours if you receive it, if you take it. Uh, it's just like many times... We'll back up a second. When the word comes forth, he deals with people sitting in the pew. Okay? So you have an individual who's sitting there who's not saved, and they're hearing this word, they're hearing revelation, they're hearing the mystery of the gospel, they don't understand it, but the Lord's dealing with them, but they never respond. They sit there, they never move, they don't come forth, there's no response in their heart, to the Lord in that, and because there isn't, then they do not know and understand the things that are freely revealed or given to us by God. We as Christians hear the word of God, and when that comes forth, once again, 
the Lord brings this apocalypsis to us, and it's the mystery of the gospel. We may not have ever heard this before, or we don't understand it because it's not moving and working in our lives. Now, we might think we understand it, but in reality, here it's before us. Now, what do we do with it? We can be in the same position as the unsaved are by leaving that apocalypsis out there rather than taking that and saying, yes, Lord, and allowing whatever it may be uh, from him to do what it is to do. And so the mystery of the gospel, Paul says here, he speaks the, the, the mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages, for what reason? The wisdom of God in a mystery, Paul says we speak. Why? What is the purpose behind this hidden wisdom? Well, look at your Bible, please. Chapter 2, verse 7. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. That's the reason. That's the purpose. The Lord was interested in His glory being revealed to you and in you. That's the reason why this mysterion, the mystery of the gospel, is brought to you and brought to me. Not just initially, but weekly, daily, whatever, however that, that is brought. You know, whatever, once a week, once a month, once a day, whatever the Lord is choosing to reveal. Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So the Lord wants to reveal to you and I, uh, and he wants that to enter into the heart of man, you and I, the things that he has prepared for you. Before the ages, he has prepared for you. He has prepared for your glory. He wants us to know. He wants us to see. He wants us to perceive. He wants us to understand. He wants us to receive. But, verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Through his spirit. See, so the word here, revealed, what is that? Um, apocalypto. Same basic word. So God will, will reveal apocalypto to you through his spirit. Through his spirit. This is the only way we're going to get these things. This is the only way we're going to be able to handle the things of the life of God. See, in spirit, it's the only way. But God hath 
revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches. Now this word here is a present tense verb. So you could read it this way, that the Spirit is searching, is searching now all things, yes, the deep things of God. Why is the Holy Spirit searching now the deep things of God? Well, He's ready all the time to bring to whoever, whosoever will, let Him come and drink of the water of life. We, we think that means initial salvation only. No, it doesn't just mean initial salvation only. It means let Him drink the water when the water is flowing, so the Spirit of God is searching the deep things of God, awaiting you, waiting for you to take of the water of life freely that's coming to you so that He can reveal to you that which He has searched. Let me see what this says in this translation here. This is the ESV. These things God has revealed to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything. I like that. The Spirit searches everything. So, to me, that means that the Spirit of God is searching my life. Seeing what's there, seeing what I need, seeing where I am, all that. And then he searches the deep things of God. So he says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He searches the depths of God. See, he doesn't need to do it for himself. It's not like he's inquiring because he doesn't know. That's not it at all. He is searching the depths. Now, what's it say in Psalm about deep calleth unto deep? So there is a deep in the individual that God has created. He's created you in a way that you cannot be satisfied or filled up with everything in the world. It doesn't matter what it is in the world. You could take all of it. It's never going to fill this certain part of you up. No matter what you do, no matter what you get, no matter how much money. And we see that many examples of that in the world. In that, in what God has, has um, created in you, that can only be filled with God himself. So the Spirit who searches the deep things of God, he's searching that, ready to put that in you to some degree, to some measure. It's usually one apocalyptic, or apocalypto at a time. Uh, revelation upon revelation, or line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. The Lord works in the life and in the heart of an individual to bring them on. Paul says, we speak the mystery of God to those who are mature, to those who are in this sanctification process. They're moving along, uh, in the kingdom. They're walking with God. 
The Lord will put things in us as we move on. We may not be aware of it at that initial time. We may, we may not. Most of the time, well, I should say most of the time, but a lot of the time, we will know. We will know because the Spirit of God brings it, and we know that. We, we see that. We perceive that. But sometimes we don't understand till much later. Then we, so we can look back and say, yes, I see the Lord did that then, and this is why. Now I understand. Verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? The spirit of the man knows the man. See, you know you better than anybody else. You know your struggles, you know your problems, you know your fears, you know your weaknesses, you know your faults, you know what you don't like, what you don't want, you know all these different things. Uh, you know what moves you, you know where maybe you came from. See, I look back and, and I know where I came from. And I like when Pastor Jim says he started with a negative 10. Well, I got news for you, brother. You're not the only one that started on a negative. I could share some things from my life, and I was, oh man, I was out of it. What the Lord has done is simply astounding to me. The spirit of the man knows to some degree. Let me read this in... ESV. For who knows a person's thoughts, now this is one aspect, except the spirit of that person which is in him. So we don't know what has gone on with someone else, where they came from before they were a Christian. We don't know that. that that's something that they know uh, where they knew they were out there. They knew they were in, so to speak, the negative, uh, and the Lord has brought them along. And so no one knows but the spirit of the man or woman. You know, you, you know where you came from. And he goes on, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Uh, New King James, even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, when he says the things of God, th this is meaning the essence, if you will, or the character of God. See, see, no one knows, especially those who are carnal, they're not going to know much of anything related to the essence or the character of God. And if you look at the book of Corinthians... The book of Corinthians, Paul had, well, the Holy Spirit had his hands full, but Paul had his hands full in writing to them because he talks about the spirit of the world. The first four chapters, he, he deals off and on with the spirit of the world in the church. You know, that's not to be. It's one of the reasons Paul writes this letter. And then in chapter 5, Paul said, says that the spirit of the world led them to sexual immorality. And then when you go to chapter 6, he says that the spirit of the, the world and the church led them 
to bring lawsuits against one another. And then when you go to chapter 8 and chapter 10, he says that the spirit of the world led to idolatry. See, this is all this is connected. The first four chapters lays the foundation for what Paul says later on. And then when you go to like the last three or four chapters, he says that the, the spirit of the world even affected their, their love for one another and even affected them in their worship. So when Paul here is dealing with them, he's dealing with this issue here of the spirit of the world in the church. And I think that, you know, in some churches that the, that the pastor should be preaching about the spirit of the world in the church. You know, because how does the spirit of the world get into church? It's brought in by the people. That's how it's in the church. It doesn't just appear, you know, magically appear in the church. It's brought in by people who are carnal. And I want to get to something here. I hope we have time. Let's just move on. Uh, verse 13. For uh, these things we also speak, not in words uh, uh, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. Uh, so in these verses here, the latter verses of chapter 2, he, he's going to compare the natural to the spiritual. The natural, when he's talking about the natural here, he's talking about that which gives us contact with this world. In other words, your senses, your sense of sight and what have you. The natural man is not necessarily evil. Now, it talks here about sensuous, not sensual. It's a different word. Sensuous means deals with the senses. Uh, and let me, let me do it this way. Music, most music, not all music, music can be neutral. So that if, let's say, someone likes classical music or jazz or something like that, that is neither good nor evil. It's neutral. Now, if a person's giving themselves to that, then that is going to take them in a negative direction. It's going to take them in a direction where they're going to move into carnality. But the, the thing itself is neutral. It can take a person toward the Lord, or it can take a person away from the Lord. The natural man, he states, cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Well, that's true, because you're only going to receive the things of the Spirit of God through the Spirit. Different, different direction, different way. But the natural man is neutral. But see, what happens is, the natural man will move toward carnality or will move in another direction toward, toward God. But if you understand what I'm saying, the natural man, uh, let's say it this way. Is it evil because your natural man wants to eat? No, God has given us food to feed our natural man. But if we give ourselves to that, the Bible talks about gluttony. So that's something totally different. Now, the natural man has taken you in a different direction, a negative direction. So what happens here with the Corinthians is that 
Paul deals with the natural man because the natural man with them was taking them toward carnality, and he says later on, he says, you are carnal. Chapter 3, chapter 4, you're carnal, you're carnal, you're carnal. See, you natural man. Let's continue to read. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Doesn't make any sense to him. You're natural man, you think, you're reasoning. It doesn't make sense. Nor can he know because the spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot discern. He's just neutral. He just, he, you know, God has made him, and I'm not talking about the carnal nature. I'm just talking about the natural man, the natural man. He's made him to function in a natural world. But we know that the inclination of the natural man is always toward the carnal nature. Or almost always. So that which, uh, when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, before they sinned, they had a body, you know. They weren't some spirit beings. They were created. They, were, they had a body, a physical body. That was a nat their natural man. That was neutral. I mean, it, it carried their spirit, so their spirit could commune with God. Okay, it carried them here, uh, over here, let's have this fruit to eat. So it was neutral. But whenever they moved and took and partake, partake, part, partook of the, the tree of knowledge and evil, then something happened. Now things changed. Now that inclination is going toward, uh, toward the carnal nature, the carnal man. So let's just finish reading chapter 2. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who, who is spiritual judges or discerns all things. So what does that mean, he who is spiritual? Do you know the word spiritual is not like, oh, boy, that person's so spiritual. That's how it's used in the church. Oh, he or she's so spiritual. The word spiritual is meaning the individual Christian who is dominated by the Spirit of God. See, they are the spiritual ones. I don't like using the word because then everybody, you know, they have this... They twist it. Oh, they're so spiritual. Wow. And they go on with that stuff. But all it means is that the individual Christian, the one who is spiritual, is the one who is dominated by the Spirit of God. So that the world, the influence of the world, or as Paul is saying, the spirit of the world is not at work in them. You know, it's, it, that's cut off from them. It's almost as though you have this, this hedge around you that you have um, put there so that the spirit of the world doesn't get in. So, you know, once again, it doesn't mean that you, you know, in natural you can't do this or you can't do that. See, but you must walk with God. You must keep that up so the spirit of, wor of the world doesn't come in. 
So those who are dominated by the Spirit of God are those who are spiritual. Because they are the things of God are spiritually discerned. So to spiritually discern the things that come from God, you must be dominated by the Spirit of God. But he who is spiritual judges or discerns. He's able to discern all things, the things that are coming. He'll be able to discern if that's from God, if that's from the world, the spirit of the world, if that's from the devil. He'll be able to discern these things. Yet he himself is rightly judged or discerned by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Now, in um, chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual. See, why couldn't he speak to them as spiritual? Because they were not dominated by the Spirit of God. They were dominated by the Spirit of the world. Okay? I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So Paul here is saying, your, your natural inclinations have led you to carnality. That's where you move, that's where you function, that's where you are at this particular time. Now, down in chapter 3 to verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, now, if you remember what I started off with, the verse in chapter 1, verse 18, about we are being saved. See, there has been a foundation laid in the heart of the Christian. Now, whether they are responding to the spirit of the world or the spirit of Christ will determine what is being laid or built on this foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, so what can you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Well, you can build gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So that's, that's quite a range of material. Some is quality material. Others is very little, is very little value or, or worth. You go out to the country and you drive down the road. How many's ever seen the big round bales of hay you know, sitting there? Well, how many people are running up? Oh, it's hay, it's hay. I'm going to take up, throw up my trunk. Not too many. But if you stack gold that high in the field, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, you'll have a fight. You'll have a riot. People will be trying to put the, the gold into their car. So that which is built here can be that which is uh, quality, that which is uh, of great worth, or can have little value at all. So what is built will be determined by whether we are receiving the apocalypto, the mystery of the gospel, revealed, or whether we are receiving the spirit of the world, or whether we're not just, we decide we're not going to receive this apocalypto. 
you know, we're just going you know, to just leave it sit there. Well, if that's the case, remember, there's a building program and there's a building going on, and, and that's what he's saying in verse 12. Verse 13, each one's work, work means toil, means what is done, the result of, of some activity, uh, that which is accomplished. What work is he talking about? Each one's work. He's talking about what's being built on this foundation called Jesus Christ. For each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because, now this, most translations will read it, translate this way. It will be revealed by fire, and when it says it will be, that's future tense. We're thinking right away that that's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be real, revealed by fire then. That, there's, there's, that's true. There's truth in that. But the actual Greek tense, the way Paul wrote it was this. It is being revealed by fire. Present tense. So what are you talking about, Paul? Well, the Spirit of the Lord. It says, our God is a consuming fire. And so as the process of building is going on, you're building upon the foundation, gold, silver, or whether it's wood, hay, or straw. The Lord will come, the Spirit of God will come, I am a consuming fire. And He will bring that which will attempt to burn up, it, or put it this way, he will bring himself to reveal to you and I what that is that's being built. For it is being revealed by fire. It is, presently. But once again, well, put it this way. What is it that's going on when he says, it is being revealed by fire. I believe it's this apocalypto. The Spirit of God is bringing this revelation, and he's showing, hey, listen, you're building with straw. Let's burn it up and start over here so that I can lay on that foundation gold, silver, and precious stone. It takes quite a lot of heat to melt precious stones. But it doesn't take much to ignite straw or hay or wood. And so the Holy Spirit will come and he'll shine the light, we say. He will bring revelation of what is taking place here in my life for the purpose of my seeing it and my responding to that revelation. Hence, now I can continue to move along in the sanctification process. We speak the, the wisdom of this world in a mystery. We speak this wisdom among those who are mature. They're growing. They're, they're moving. They're moving on. That's the purpose there behind that. So I'll leave you with this, that when the Lord comes, and as I say, he can come through his word, he can come through your personal time with him, he can come when you're out walking 
or riding a bike, it doesn't matter where you are. He can come in church when you're studying, wherever it may be. He will come so gently and softly, and he will bring an apocalypsis. Be alert, because that will be something that will help you so that we can see what is being built, whether it be gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw. So we can see that, what it is, and turn to the Lord so that he can work in our lives to bring us to maturity, to bring us along further uh, on the road, bring us closer in relationship, to bring us further toward maturity. So he brings this apocalypsis to you and I for your glory.